So this morning we're going to be doing, uh, considering some things related to um, in light of the new year. And I wanted to do just some, some thoughts on uh, a passage in Proverbs 16, Proverbs 16, 9. Proverbs 16, 9. Solomon writes, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In the coming days, many of us will embark upon the American tradition of implementing our New Year's resolutions. Some of the more popular resolutions include losing weight, eating healthier, getting more exercise, going to sleep. These would fall into the category of what the world now calls the new year, new me, or new you. For Christians on the list of resolutions could include Praying more consistently, reading through the Bible in a year, studying the Bible more. It could be domestic goals of spending more time with our families and less time with our phones. Experts say that habits are usually formed after 21 days of consistent adherence to the changes. However, for most and for whatever reason, many of our resolutions will be abandoned before these habits are formed. In fact, an author of a Forbes Health article writes, failing at New Year's resolutions is so common that there's even a slew of unofficial dates commemorating such failures. The list includes Ditch New Year's Resolutions Day on January 17th and unofficially designated Quitters Day on the second Friday in January. Another article stated that 91% of Americans abandon their resolutions before the year is over. If you fall into the category of that 91%, there is a recommitment day on June the 1st called New Year's Resolution Recommitment Day. Now, many of these resolutions are abandoned because of various reasons that were stated in some articles I read. One was a lack of discipline. One, it said a lack of resolve. Another one was peer pressure. People fall peer pressure, and some say a lack of planning. And there were a whole host of other reasons that were presented as to why people abandon their resolutions that they make with such lofty goals and such sound reasons for why they should do the things that they are doing. 
But one thing these articles fail to recognize as a reason for failure in keeping these plans or resolutions is the providence of God. Many times our well-laid plans do not come to pass because God's plan overrides our plans. One writer said in his frustration, my life is filled with interruptions. You may understand what he's talking about. Inconveniences, frustrations, and unexpected events. Things break, accidents happen, the phone rings, just as I climb into bed, traffic makes me late, just when we don't need another added expense and appliance breaks, unexpected illnesses change my carefully crafted plans, and I could go on and on. I had one of these this past week. I went to take my son's car in for a routine service. I left the mechanic paying 10 times what I thought I was going to pay because of finding a couple of things that needed immediate attention. My plans were changed. And Solomon reminds us here that our plans can be changed because we are not sovereign over our plans. That God is sovereign over our plans. That he is the one who, although we plan, he gives Direction to our steps in our planning. Solomon says the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now, this portion of scripture highlights a very important uh, theological reality in a nutshell. In what we call the providence of God. The providence of God. Louis Burkhoff, in his Systematics, defines the providence of God in this way. He says, it's the divine energy whereby the creator does three things. One, he preserves all his creatures in that he upholds them by the word of his power, Hebrews chapter 1. And in him we live and we move and we have our being we are upheld and sustained by God. God preserves all his creatures. He says the divine energy whereby the creator too is operative in all that comes to pass in the world. That means he is active in every detail of our lives. When we're on our way to church today, God was not devoid in being operative in the red lights that you hit this morning, or the traffic that slowed you down, or the ease with, by which you got to church today, God is operative even in those things. Thirdly, he says, the, the divine energy whereby the creator directs all things to their appointed end. This means that God is moving and, the point, and, and directing things so that in the final analysis, all that God has purposed 
all that he has planned in his divine plan, it will come to pass. When, where, how, and through whom God has ordained those things to come to pass. Now, this is in contrast to deism's understanding of the person of God. Now, the deistic conception of divine providence, according to Louis Burkhoff, says this, that according to deism, God's concern with the world is not universal, special and perpetual, but only a general nature. At the time of creation, he imparted to all his cre creatures certain inalienable properties, placed them under invariable laws, and left them to work out their destiny by their own inherent power. In other words, Burkhoff goes on to say, the world is simply a machine which God has put in motion and not at all a vessel which he pilots from day to day. And so Solomon puts it like this, that as man the mind of man plans his way, God directs his steps. He says, but God, the Lord directs his steps, which means that what we plan and what we determine we, is going to take place may not take place because God is the one who directs our steps in the final analysis. Now, Solomon is showing us in this verse the folly of man who thinks that his ways are in his own hand. And as one has said, and yet is not able to move one foot unless God gives force. Theologians consider it like this. Man proposes, but God disposes. Man devises, but the Lord directs. Now, is this a warning or an argument against planning? I would say absolutely not. Solomon is not warning us against planning and calling planning evil. In fact, the Bible has much to say about the prudence of planning. Planning, in fact, is commended in the Bible. In Proverbs 6, 6 through 11, we have a, a picture in nature that God gives to us of one who plans and how important it is for us to plan. He gives us the picture of the ant in Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. He says, go to the, go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard, verse 9? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. And so the ant here is set forth as an example of those who plan and the prudence of planning. And he 
speaks against those, those sluggards who would not plan and prepare for the future. In Proverbs 21.5, Solomon says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. They lead surely to advantage. We also find that those in the scriptures who do not make plans are those whom the Bible considers foolish and unwise. In that same verse, Proverbs 21.5, Solomon says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. This is not just speaking of being quick, but being quick without, because you've attended to a task without planning, taking the time to prepare by planning and setting a course of action before you, a person puts their hands to the plow into some endeavor. In Proverbs 21.20, Solomon says, There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. Now, we can see from these verses here that making plans is commended to us by the scriptures. So, at the same time, we have to understand that making plans can still be considered foolish if the plans are not made in the right context or in the right heart or with the right heart. So, for example... In Luke 12, verses 14 through 21, someone had come to to Jesus and said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge and arbiter over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told him a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. He began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, Here's his plan. This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Sounded like a great plan to me. He says, but God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? He says, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What's wrong with his plans? His plans are atheistic plans. His plans are plans divorced of the sovereignty of God or of a sovereign God. We see this in other portions of Scripture as well. In James chapter 4, if you'll turn there with me, James chapter 4. Beginning in verse 13, 
says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet, and it sounds like a good plan again, but there are warnings here. In verse 14, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And so we see here that James is, again, not railing against planning here. He's railing against planning apart from God. He calls it, he calls the planning of this man evil. Why? Because this man has planned, in this, in this hypothetical situation here, this man has planned apart from God. Apart from the reality that he has a life that is but a vapor, a puff of smoke. That he can't guarantee that what he will, he's planning will come to pass. He's presumptuous of the grace and mercy of God. And so... He's addressing him and addressing us, reminding us that our lives are but a vapor. And going back to Proverbs 16.9, that the mind of man plans his way, but it's the Lord who directs his steps. We have to embrace this reality here. Things change. Our plans are changed and altered. Sometimes they're abandoned completely or delayed because that's not God's plan and ultimate in the plan that he has for us and for the world. Planning is rarely cast in a in a light that is not a favorable light, but planning without God is. And going back to Proverbs 16.9, let's consider some truths that we draw from the text. Again, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. One truth we draw from this is that man is a rational, reasoning creature. Man does plan his way. He thinks, he, he plans, he makes, he's a creature of volition. God has given him the ability to, to, to reason and to, to think rationally. This is what separates us from the rest of creation. We've been made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. And in light of that, and this is one of the ways in which we are in the image of God, we can reason. 
We can think. We can plan. And God has given that to us as human beings. It's a blessing and a delight to be able to think and to plan, to, to reason and to rationally, rationally think through things. It's not like the rest of creation, where most of the responses of the rest of creation is just simply by the sheer act of what the creation is and running on its own instinct. But we as creatures made in the image of God, in the likeness of God, have that, what we call the, that communicable attribute of being a, able to reason and to think. God shares that attribute with us. And that's a joy and a delight to be able to reason and to think. We're not like brute beasts who live only on instinct. And think about this. When we live that way, and in all reality, much of the world lives by sheer instinct without reasoning and thinking through, and they live out of the lust of their flesh and the desires of their own heart that are flawed and corrupt and fallen, we live, they live like beasts. And we do too. We're to be those who reason. Make plans. Secondly, another truth we draw from this is that man is dependent, is a dependent creature. He's not autonomous. He's not a law unto himself. He's not sovereign. Because we see from the passage here, his plans may be altered. That's why that word but is there. It's a very important word there. The mind of man plans his way. He may think he's sovereign. He may think his plan can't be altered. But the text tells us but. But God directs his steps. And this lets us know then that man's plans can be changed. In Proverbs 20, verse 24, it says, Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? So the proverb here speaks of an ignorance that we have even about our way because we are not the ones who are the ones who bring that to its consummate end. And so, therefore, there's an ignorance that lies with us about our way, whether it be the ignorance of knowing what's best for ourselves or what is, has been decreed by God. God is the one who determines the end of those things. And some people say, well, the reason your plan didn't come to pass is because you didn't plan well enough. That could be true. Or you didn't plan soon enough. Or you didn't consider all the contingencies and the possibilities. Or you didn't have a plan A, a plan B, and then a plan C. All these backup plans. Your plan wasn't as airtight as possible. Or you didn't get enough counsel. 
Listen, you can have all those things. You can have a, a well-thought-out plan. You can have a, 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 a plan that is initiated in a, in a proper time, in a timely, a timely fashion. You can have all the contingencies considered, plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. You can have an, as, as airtight as possible. You can counsel with the wisest of the wisest. And yet, your plans as a human being under the sovereign hand of God can be altered. You say, I'm, I planned well. I put out, you say, I laid out my five-year plan right here, my ten-year plan. It should come to pass. I got everything in order here. I got all the things in the right place. I got all my investments going where they should go. And the economy could crash in one day. We've seen it historically. We've seen it happen in our world. And in one day, the wealthy become paupers. And it happens. It happens. Jeremiah 10, 23 puts it this way. The Lord, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself. Nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Our plans are not ultimate. Our plans are subject to the plan of God. We also learn from this text that God's plans and God's plan cannot be hindered. God's plan or God's plans cannot be hindered. In Job 42.2, it says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In Psalm 33.10, the psalmist says, the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of, of the peoples. You see here, God is, man is planning his way. He's taking counsel. And God has, is now intervening. He says, but the counsel of the Lord stands forever. And so we have here a very clear contrast in this portion of scripture here, where it says here, the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. They've counseled together. They have talked to their, to their uh, allies. They've, they've said, should we do this? Should we do that? Can we do this? Can we do that? They've considered all the contingencies. It says, yet the Lord can thwart their plans. But it says, in contrast to that, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. Says the plans of his heart, I mean the plans of God from the plans of God's heart, he says here, from generation to generation. That speaks of the 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 um, the reality that it, it it's it it can't be thwarted by anyone in any generation. It is an everlasting counsel that can't be thwarted. He says from generation to generation. 
It says in Proverbs 21.30, there is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. And what are some other places in the scripture that speak of God's unhindered plan? Well, in Daniel 4.35, it says, all the inhabitants of the earth, this is Nebuchadnezzar responding now in light of his, his discipline by God. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to the, his will in the host of heaven and among the, among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nobody. Absolutely nobody. And nothing can ward off, thwart the plan of God. In Ephesians 1, a very classic portion of scripture that we consider when we consider this in regards to who God is, says we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And so all things are worked after the counsel of his will. That means that there is nothing that takes place if you think about a destination, nothing takes place as not leading the world to that ultimate destination. It's like a train going to a destination and a flea tries to step in front of the train to, to halt the train in its force and speed going down the train track. No way possible. No way possible. We see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was seeking to go to minister in a certain location. It says in, in Acts chapter 16, we have an example here of God changing the plan of another. It says in verse 6 of Acts chapter 6, it says, So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. So Paul was seeking to go to minister um, in the Galatian region. But it says here that God hindered him. He prevented him from going there. And we would think in our minds, if he's going to minister to word of, the word of God. Surely that's a good thing and God will permit that. Perhaps not. Perhaps not. We have to submit our will to the will of God, even in things of ministry like that, because it may not be God's will for a person to minister in a certain location at a certain time. It may be not now or maybe never. Now, we don't expect to have God supernaturally come to us and say, no, you're not going, but sometimes God puts roadblocks there to hinder us from going. 
and halts us in our steps of ministry for another region, for, another, for other reasons. And we see, by the way, we don't always get the, the, the privilege of seeing why God has halted us in a certain area and then see what then transpires in light of that. And we have that in this passage here because we have, it says here, uh, going on in verse, um, this is verse 9, it says, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul was hindered from going to preach to hundreds and maybe thousands. Now he's called to preach to a family, a man and his family. But we see the fruit of that preaching of the gospel and how much fruit was born out of that ministry to that man and his family when he was called to preach to Cornelius. We don't always have that privilege, though. Sometimes God may call you not to preach or teach in some sort of public setting. It may just be you're teaching and preaching to, to an individual, to a co-worker, to, to your family, to, to minister the word of God to your own household. Maybe the significance of your ministry, but it doesn't make it an insignificant ministry. And what do we learn when our plans are changed? Some of this is repetitive, so just bear with me. Things we learn from changed plans. Changed plans remind us that God is in control and we are not. It's a very simple truth there. God is in control and we are not. This is is very important for us to remember as things in 2024 may look a little strange. And we all understand this. You had plans in that you maybe made resolutions in 2020, at the beginning of 2023, at the end of 2022, going into 2023, or you had plans for 2023 that were stifled or laid aside and they did not happen. Be prepared for that. Prepare your heart for that. Change plans, secondly, often reveal our hearts. Some things don't reveal our hearts like change plans. When your plans are changed, Do you become upset or frustrated or even angry? Consider what that plan is and consider the idol that may be behind the plan or the pursuit of the plan that we need to consider. It can show us our spiritual weakness when our plans are changed altered by God. 
But undoubtedly, it shows us those idols of the heart. Why am I angry at my changed plans? We see this at Walmart, don't we? Mom going through line, she promises the child, hey, if you, if you act right, I'm going to get you some candy when you go through what they call an impulse aisle at Walmart. You know impulse aisle? They have these. You, you know how they, they have you now when you go to check out at, at um, TJ Maxx or some of these other, they have this little line you're going through like this. You see all that little, those little five, ten dollar items, that's called impulse aisle. But they have it there for impulsive adults now. They used to have it just with chill candy. Now they have it for impulsive adults. And they put little things there for your phone and other things now to, to entice the impulsive adults now. But you see that child who maybe was promised something and now, for whatever reason, the, the mother changes her mind. Plans are changed. What do you see? A tantrum, a tantrum. We may not fall out like that on the ground, like a child throwing a, a tantrum, but in our hearts we do that sometimes. When, when God changes our plans or thwarts our plans, and our plans don't come out like we want them to come out. I'll give you an example. Mother, you're, you're late at night, and... You're without, you're without rest. You're sleeping. You're tired. You're, your body's worn down. And all of a sudden, and you're thinking, I'm gonna, it's going to be a good night's rest tonight. And then all of a sudden, you hear that child come in and say, I'm sick, Mommy. Thwarted plans. Changed plans. You plan to get some sleep. God planned for your child to be sick and in need of your aid. Change plans. Thirdly, change plans give us an opportunity to trust God. We have an opportunity to trust God. Why? Why is this an opportunity to trust God? Because... God is in control of our plans, ultimately. And when our plans are altered, it's an opportunity to trust God in the direction that he is taking us. Remember, he directs your steps. Are you okay with the direction that God is leading you in? Are you confident in that direction that God is leading you in? Fourthly, change plans are mercifully executed by a sovereign God. God doesn't change our plans because he's a cruel, um, uncaring God. He changes and alters our plans because he's always seeking our good. Our plans that are altered or changed come from the hand of a mercifully, merciful and kind God. 
We have to remember this when those plans are changed and altered. Because God is, has for us our eternal good. He will not withhold any good thing from us. He will not. He will not withhold any good thing from us. And so whatever that altered plan looks like, the end of that is your good, God's glory. And so we need to rest in that. Finally, change plans give us an opportunity to live out what we believe. This is what Pastor Greg has been hammering home. The doctrine and the living must go hand in hand. If we believe the doctrine, then the living of that, those truths must come to bear upon how we respond to the changes in our lives, specifically when our plans are altered, changed. We have to trust in that God who is sovereign, that he is wise, he knows what he's doing, he's kind and good, and everything that he is doing is ultimately for his glory. And if that's what we are seeking after, that's what we are seeking after, we will be resigned to that will of God that may alter, maybe an alteration of our, our plans. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time as we have come to consider these things at the end of another year. Pray, God, in, in 2024, that the things we have considered this morning, that they would resonate in our hearts, that it would be applied to our lives, that we would live in light of our sovereign God and know that you are providentially working all things after the counsel of your will, that when our plans are altered or changed, Lord, help us to rest in you, your kindness, your goodness, your mercy, your wisdom, your love, your sovereign, um, omnipotent power. Help us to not be frustrated and angry, but to, to delight ourselves to trust you, Lord. Help us to trust you. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.